Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please turn then to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, this morning, first book in the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and you'll find that on page 807, 807 in the black Bibles, large print Bibles, 959. The story continues with verse 18. Last week we looked at chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. The story continues this morning, verse 18, but in many ways what we're about to read is the application of last week's family tree. Although this is a story this morning, the application of last week is all through what we're going to look at this morning. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray together that in these moments you would remove the familiar glaze that lies across passages like this. We see and hear these words so often, and yet we ask you, living Heavenly Father, God in heaven, to speak afresh. Give us eyes to see, hearts to receive, minds to understand, and wills to obey. For we ask it together in Christ's precious name. Amen. Last week, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, we looked at the king with two fathers. The king with two fathers. Verse 1, Jesus is David's son, and he is Abraham's son. This morning, we now meet the son with two names. The son with two names. I wonder if you spotted that in our passage, that the child, the Lord Jesus, as baby, the son born to Mary, he is given two names. And the names that are given to the child are not his first name and a surname. No, the names that are given to Jesus are what we might call a real name 
and a symbolic name. A real name and a symbolic name. The real name is there in verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And the symbolic name is there in verse 23. They shall call his name Emmanuel. The Bible is full of surprises. I hope you find it like that, friends, full of surprises. I was thinking last week, the genealogy, I was approaching the sermon thinking, I really have my work cut out this morning, all this list of names. And I should have realized, of course, looking out on the congregation, how diverse we are. Somebody said to me afterwards, from a different part of the world, Matthew 1 verses 1 to 17 is my favorite passage in the Bible. Makes sense, doesn't it? From other parts of the world, your family is everything. No, the surprise in our passage this morning, the beauty of a real name and the beauty of a symbolic name. Like I just prayed at the start there, it's possible, isn't it? Especially if we've grown up with the Bible and we know it so well. When you get to passages like this, the Christmas story, we think, don't we, we've been there, we've, we've, we've seen it, we've read it, we've moved on. And at Christmas time, we know this story so well. Mary and Joseph, no room at the end, baby Jesus the Savior. But then you look, and you look, and you look again, and you realize that we only appreciate the light when we see the darkness. It's true, isn't it? We only appreciate light when we see the darkness. Here we are in January, still a little bit longer to go in darkness, but oh, when it arrives, won't it be sweet? And all the sweeter because we've been in darkness. Oh, you appreciate light when it comes. There is darkness here in Matthew chapter 1. Darkness. It's the scandal of shame the scandal of shame. Look at verse 19. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. There is shame all over this chapter, in fact. It's what we saw last week, isn't it? The first 17 verses. And friends, this morning, we will only see the light in the names in verse 21 and verse 23. You will only see two lights shining there if we understand the darkness that surrounds those two names. Verse 21 is like a bright, shining diamond sparkling in the light against a black velvet background. For in Matthew chapter 1, oh, the pain, oh, the darkness. Sometimes we sing, don't we? we? We love that song, From the Squalor of a Borrowed Stable. We're going to sing a different song after the sermon this morning, but we know that song, The Squalor of a Borrowed Stable. It's got that line in it, to the anguish and the shame of scandal came the Savior of the human race. To the anguish and the shame of scandal came the Savior of of the human race. That is Matthew chapter 1, and that line from that song is my two points this morning. I'm going to split that line into two parts. Number one, feel the anguish and the shame of scandal. Feel the anguish and the shame of scandal. If you look at verse 18, where our passage begins, here we have a typical Jewish romance. 
The the story is just what you would expect it to be about a child's birth. When his mother, the birth of Jesus, took place in this way, when his mother had been betrothed to Joseph, everything is normal. This was step one towards marriage. In this culture, betrothal was a more legal arrangement than our engagements are today. That the pledge is legally binding. It's very likely that Mary's father has paid a price here, a a dowry in some way. This is a formal prenuptial contract. So, So serious it can only be broken by divorce. And the woman still lives in her parents' home, under her father's roof, under her father's authority. You see the language of verse 20? Take your wife. Verse 24, Joseph took his wife. It means to take her from her house to his house. And only when that happens, when that move, that transition takes place, only then would they be publicly husband and wife. And only when she left her home for his home would sexual relations begin. And so, friends, sense the scandal. Sense the scandal. In this world, betrothal does not lead to the bedroom. Not yet. Not yet. It's a bit like um, the, the film William Braveheart, William Wallace. Remember when William Wallace is, is courting at the start, he has to ask the father's permission. You want to see Mary? You want to spend some time with Mary? Ask her dad. That's who you speak to. And so, scandal. Scandal. Before they came together, Mary was found to be with child. With child from the Holy Spirit. All Joseph can hear in that verse, in verse 18, all Joseph can hear are those words, with child. With child. And not his child not his. It's not until verse 20, is it, as you look at it, that Joseph is given any real comfort about where this child has come from. We, we just are left to imagine, did Mary tell him? Did she sit him down and say, you're not going to believe this? Verse 19, did he just not believe her? Can you imagine Joseph's pain, Joseph's confusion, It's taken me many years to realize that Matthew chapter 1 is much more about Joseph than it is about Mary. It's much more about Joseph. Some of you will remember a couple of years ago, Sinclair Ferguson's sermon on this passage, pointing out that Joseph is the only character in all of the Gospels never to say a word in in the birth stories. None of the Gospels have Joseph saying anything. He never speaks anywhere in the Gospels. A man afflicted with scandal, scandal in his family, scandal, friends, in the royal house this is. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes. How would you feel? What would you do? For sexual scandal stings, doesn't it? Sexual scandal stays. It's why Cliff Richards sued the BBC years ago. Reputation is damaged, speculation grows, and it spreads like wildfire around a village like this. And Joseph has a scandal on his hands to deal with. Matthew is saying to us, friends, he wants us to look closely at this, to to see this. Jesus is born to scandal. 
He's born right into the thick of it. The Lord Jesus is raised under the stare of suspicious neighbors, whispered rumors. Can you sense it? But now notice something else. Scandal and shame are not the same thing. Scandal and shame are not the same thing. Scandal is what breaks into the news and goes around the town and gets repeated at the school gates and texted between people. That is what scandal is, but shame is what the person at the heart of it all feels. Scandal is the spread and shame is the emotion. Scandal is the story. Shame is the sensation. How would Mary feel? Verse 19 she would be put to shame. So look what Joseph does. He resolved <clears throat> to, re- to divorce her quietly. It's amazing, I think, how Joseph beautifully holds two things together here. He holds together justice and mercy, righteousness and compassion. The law of Moses prescribed a punishment for adultery, even death for adultery. So serious was the betrayal that the law does not expect Joseph to be okay with this, to turn a blind eye to it. And yet, the law also prescribed a quieter way of dealing with this, a a private divorce between two witnesses. That's the option I'll go for, says Joseph, a quiet divorce, a man of compassion. And all because Joseph knows about shame. He understood what shame would do. Shame is losing face in front of others, isn't it? And shame usually occurs when something private is unexpectedly made public. That's what shame results from, something private unexpectedly made public. Adam and Eve were both naked, remember, in the garden, and they felt no shame. But those days are gone. Everybody here is dressed this morning. Now we cover up. And when sex goes wrong, something private becomes public. Oh, the shame. Oh, the shame of it. Some of us, many of us, I guess, in this room are old enough to remember the name Monica Lewinsky. Or if you don't remember her, you might have heard of her. She was the young White House intern who famously had an affair with the then President of the United States, President Bill Clinton. And I told some of us about this a while ago. Some of you may have seen this. Monica Lewinsky, after many years of silence, she has begun recently to write and speak about what happened to her in the aftermath of that whole event. And what she is writing and speaking about is shame. It's all to do with shame. When Bill Clinton famously wagged his finger on television and said, that woman, called her that woman, Monica Winsky said, when a powerful man used those words, that is who I became, that woman. I lost the value of my name, my reputation. In the eyes of the world, I became an object of sexual humiliation. My my younger brother is a teacher, and he recently sent me a 20-minute TED talk that Monica Lewinsky gave. Uh, you can look it up, you can find it online. My, my, my brother as a teacher uses it in his school to help the children that he works with see the devastating effects of shame and humiliation and the damage that they can do by shaming other people. 
Monica Lewinsky's talk is called The Price of Shame. Shame has hung around my head like an albatross. I have not been able to take it off. Shame sticks to you like tar. It is like having all your skin peeled off in public. And then she says this, I know I'm not alone when it comes to public humiliation. No one, it seems, can escape the unforgiving gaze of the internet where gossip, half-truths, and lies take root and fester, we have created a culture of humiliation that rewards those who humiliate others. From the ranks of the paparazzi to the gossip bloggers, the late-night comedians, and the web entrepreneurs who profit from clandestine videos. We may not have become a crueler society, she says, although it sure feels as if we have, but the internet has seismically shifted the tone of our interactions. Well, you don't have to be online for long, do you, to know that she's right and to agree. I think we know this. Whether you're trying to protect protect children from the online world of guilt and shame, whether this morning you are battling it yourself, can you see what Matthew is saying to us? Do not, do not miss that word shame. That word shame in the passage. God chose shame. God chose to send His Son to us in a way that came with scandal attached to it, and in a way that came with shame built into the whole mechanism of His arrival. Friends, shame is all over Jesus' family tree. Remember what we saw last week? That I think perhaps the most striking example, verse 6, Jesse, the father of David, the king, the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. He took someone else's wife. Verse 4, Tamar, Genesis 38. Perez and Zerah by Tamar, remember, poses as a prostitute, sleeps with her father-in-law. Verse 5, Rahab, a prostitute. Ruth, a Moabitess. Verse 5. A Moabitess, the Moabite race came about because of what? Incest. Incest led to the birth of that race. Oh, it is an astonishing family tree. An astonishing family tree. We sometimes talk, don't we, or you hear it said, it's an awful, awful phrase about Christian people being good living people. He's a good living person. It's awful if that's how we present the truth about us, isn't it? It it is a million miles away from the family tree of our Savior. Matthew is saying to us the virgin birth of Jesus, friends. We're so used to it at Christmas, but imagine it happening, the news breaking. The virgin birth of Jesus is all about a world of sexual scandal and shame. Think about it in the king's family. In the king's family, incestuous sex, commercialized sex, adulterous sex, pagan sex, it's all there. It runs through the family line like a colored dye so that it's as if Matthew is confronting his readers head on. You've heard about the rumors about Mary, haven't you? You've heard what they're saying. People are whispering. Matthew says, let me tell you, you don't know the half of it. Oh, there is scandal in this family. So here is where Matthew is leading us. My second point this morning. Now we've seen the darkness. 
Can you see the light? Meet the Savior. Here's the second point. To the anguish and the shame of scandal. Number two, to all of that came the Savior of the human race. Came the Savior of the human race. Meet the Savior. Oh, friends, this morning, please don't look at scandal or shame without meeting the Savior that this family offers. That the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus is all about the beauty of Jesus' two names. And each time the name is tied to his people. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 23, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Two names, two connections to his people. See, if you look at the family tree of the Lord Jesus, verse 3, Tamar, verse 4, verse uh, verse 5, Rahab, verse 6, Uriah, If you look at the family tree, verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, and you have that in your CV, imagine that's in your background. Somebody says to you, tell me about your family, someone asks. Someone says to you, I I, I really like you. I think you you could really go places in the world. You could be a big hit. You're going to make a difference. You're going to have an impact. But before we offer you this job, tell us about your family. In verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, are in your family history. What do you do? What, what were your grandparents like? Royals or rogues? Righteous or rascals? What, what do you do with people who are shameful? Just ask yourself that this morning. What do you do with people who embarrass you? We say, don't we? We say, not mine. Not mine. Happens all the time. Dad, don't wear that jumper in public. Not around me. Not with me. Mom, don't kiss me at the school gate. Keep keep your distance, we say. Don't shame me in public. Not mine. God comes, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew says, God comes and says, Mine. His people. His people. God takes the shameful, the scandalized, the broken, and and He puts His seal on them. He he gives them the robe, the ring. The Lord Jesus says, you're mine. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine. Why does Jesus have two names? a real name and a symbolic name. Think about it like this, Anakin Skywalker, some of you know. Anakin Skywalker is a real name. But if you know anything about Star Wars, you know that Anakin Skywalker has a symbolic name, Darth Vader. And isn't it true that that symbolic name, you only have to hear the, the two words, Darth Vader, the symbolic name captures something of all his darkness and threat, doesn't it? It's all there built up in the symbolic name. Margaret Thatcher. Margaret was her real name, and real names have meanings. Margaret is derived from a word that means pearl. Pearl. 
Margaret was her real name. Pearl was its meaning, but her symbolic name was the Iron Lady. It summed up who she was. It captured her character. It, it displayed the very essence of her personality. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the Son is given a real name, Jesus. And that real name has a real meaning. Jesus is a Greek form of the Old Testament name, Joshua. It's the same name, only now in Greek. Joshua repeated in Greek. It's a common name in the first century. Hundreds and hundreds of men were called Jesus, Joshua. Because it means God is salvation. That's the meaning of the word. God is salvation. God will save and in many first century Jewish homes, a little boy is born and the parents say, let's call him Jesus because one day God will save us. Here we are living under oppressive Roman rule and the time will come when God will save. But look at the wording of the verse. Call his name Jesus for he will save God will save becomes now he will save his people. Him, this one, he is going to do what only God can do. Now you get to verse 23 and you add on top of the real name, the symbolic name. Call his name Emmanuel. For in this baby Jesus, God is with us. God, God himself, and he is with, and he is with us, us. Friends, those three words that end verse 23, God with us, there is the story of the Bible in three words. Somebody asked you tomorrow over coffee, you're a Christian, what's the Bible all about? Always go to three words, God with us. God with us is a little Bible within the Bible, isn't it? It's the heart of it all. It's what, the, the point of it all. Heaven and earth joined together in Eden. God walking with man and woman who he made. Now separate, fractured by sin. The earth ruined and destroyed. And how does it all end at the end of the Bible? Now the dwelling of God is with us. And he will live with us and we will live with him forever. Friends, this morning you cannot... You cannot put a cigarette paper between the Son of God and His people. There, there is no distance between God and His people. Isn't it amazing? They are His. You are His. I am His. My family, He says. My family. For He will save His people from their sins. I want to say to you this morning, you are not a stranger to Jesus. He knows you by name, and you carry his family name. See, here's what's happening with the virgin birth. I know you've heard me say this before. I love putting it, putting it like this. What, what kind of person is Mary carrying in her womb? This child conceived in her from the Holy Spirit, who is she carrying? What, what is he? Here's what we can say that this child, Jesus, is born of Mary so that his humanity is true. He is true man. He is one of us. He is like us. But he is born of God. 
from the Holy Spirit. Do you notice it? Verse 18, verse 20, twice we are told deliberately, the child Joseph, you have nothing to worry about. This child is different. He is from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. So we say that on the one hand, the child born of Mary, his humanity is true, but he is born of God, we say, so that his humanity is new, new. He is one of us, but he is not like us. We are born in sin. He is born in holiness. We are born guilty. He is born to bear guilt. He will save his people from, you notice, their sins, not his sins. What an astonishing family tree to have somebody enter it and to say, he is not tarnished by the sin of the family. No, it is his people's sins, their sins. Somebody has said there are three S's with sin. It spoils, it spreads, it separates. Sin spoils, it spreads, it separates. Perfectly true, isn't it? Isn't that right? Just think of your own life. Think of where you are in relation to people this morning in your family or at work or other acquaintances you have. Isn't it true that we all know what it it is like for sin to have spoiled, spread, and separated? The, the, The way people treat you at work, the kind of things you have to see at work, the things that people have done to you, the things that you have said to others. We all taste it. Only if we've seen the darkness will we want the light. Only if we've seen ourselves, only if we know our shame will we want the Savior. Think about it this morning. Wouldn't we love to be clean on the inside? Clean on the inside. We love, I hope most of us love being clean on the outside. The beauty of washing dirt off the body. Imagine that shower head somehow going inside beneath the skin and everything inside of us being clean, free of all shame, free of all sexual sin, guilt. Maybe it's sexual sin this morning that plagues you. This passage is all about the complexities of that most beautiful of gifts, isn't it? Sex is like fire. Sex can keep you warm. Or sex can burn your house down. We get ourselves in so many tangles over sexual shame. You know, I think this passage shows us two things we need to remember about sex. Not all sex is wrong sex. Not all sex is wrong sex. Some theologians down through the years have said that the reason the virgin birth had to happen is because sex is sinful. Jesus couldn't arrive in the world as, via something as sinful as sex. That, that, that is awful, right? Can we, can we agree on that? That is profoundly wrong. Sex existed before the fall happened. Sex didn't cause sin or arrive with sin. No, sex is only spoiled by sin. Roman Catholic theologians take this sort of angle and and they say that because of all of those complexities of sex and sin bound up together, Mary must have remained a virgin all of her life. She must have been untainted by sexual intercourse. 
It is not proper for the woman who bears the Son of God to also use her body in sexual intimacy. It cannot be right, can it? Look at verse 25. Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. That little word, until, implies, doesn't it, that there was an afterwards, that the knowledge of sexual union. Not all sex is wrong sex. But so too, friends, not all sex is right sex. Not all sex is right sex. Joseph thinks Mary is pregnant by another man, and deep inside he knows the wrongness of it. That the relationship must end, he says. Notice even here, betrothal, engagement does not lead to the bedroom. Not yet. Engaged, but not yet brought together. From beginning to end, the clear, consistent voice of the Bible is that sex belongs in marriage. It's what the Bible teaches. But friends, this morning, there isn't a man or a woman in this room, married or unmarried, not one of us who does not know what sexual, sexual shame feels like. We all do. It's not one of us who doesn't know what it feels like. We all understand, don't we? Married, unmarried, heterosexual, same-sex attracted, east of Eden, we know what sexual shame feels like. We're all sexual sinners. In the deepest parts of our being, with one of the most precious gifts that God has given, we know what it means to take it and to fall short with it. To to touch and to take what is not ours to touch and take, to be unfaithful with our our minds and our hearts. We, We know it, don't we? And into this world, this this family, this family, within these four walls, into this family, Jesus comes to save His people. Friends, I hope you know this. I long for you to know this with all my heart this morning. Whatever shame you are carrying, you are not spoiling the family name. You are not spoiling the family name. How could you when it is His family, this family? You are not unwelcome under this roof within these four walls. Some of our sexual struggles are so deep, aren't they? So deep. Same-sex attraction, lust, pornography. Our sexual appetite seems so integral to our identity, and we end up thinking, with the way that I'm wired, I must be a slip of the divine chisel. I'm a factory reject, a screw-up. And what we do when we think that is, we think it must mean I'm outside, I'm excluded, I'm, I'm not welcome. The gospel of Matthew and the good news of the virgin birth this morning, friends, brothers and sisters, it says, what if in this world of scandal and sin and shame, what if there was one person, just one person of absolute moral perfection? absolute beauty and truth and glory? What if there was one person who, if you were to come close to him, you would never, ever want to leave? That there is nothing evil 
in this man, nothing dark in him, no selfishness, no impatience, no pride, no greed. When he speaks, he only speaks what is right. He is full of love and full of grace and full of truth. This book, Matthew says, my book, verse 1, the book of the beginnings of Jesus the King, the book about how God began all over again with Jesus. This book says that Jesus is that true and proper man. He is the true and second Adam, the true human. When he entered the world in all its perfection, he did not keep sinners at arm's length. He didn't keep his distance. No, he came close close. He lived a perfect life of full, complete, glad, and perfect obedience to God, and on the cross offered to God that perfect life, that most beautiful of lives. And on the cross said to his Father, here, Father, take this, my life for theirs, my righteousness for their sin, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus was born not just so that we could have Christmas, he was born so that we could have Easter. Oh, friends, you cannot bring shame into Jesus' family that takes him by surprise. Look at it. You can't hand him something that he cannot deal with this morning. There's nothing you can give Jesus this morning that he cannot take from you and give you in exchange his own perfect life, his righteousness. No, on the cross, his life for our lives, for my life, for yours, for he will save his people from their sin. Amen.